Good morning, church. Uh, we'll be reading out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through, I think it's 18. But we do not want you to be informed, brothers, but those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him. God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that who, who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Praise God. False prophets, beloved. False prophets, they abound. The world is full of them, always have been, from the serpent in the garden. The Bible even tells us that they will increase. God warned Israel over and over again concerning a false prophet. Jesus warned his disciples again and again concerning false prophets. The apostolic writers warned the church over and over again about false prophets. And our day is no different. And this is particularly true. We, we particularly uh, see the plethora of false prophets when it comes to those who want to tell us when Christ is going to return. It wasn't too long ago, you might remember, that we were witnessing and reading billboards right here in East Point. On the side of vehicles, it was written, Jesus is coming, May. 21, 2011. May 21, 2011. And everybody was all in an uproar, and everybody was all intense. Because Harold Camping and Family Radio decided that they had gone into the Bible and they had crunched the numbers. And they had determined that Jesus' return was foretold and predicted in the Bible to happen on May 21st, 2011. Well, as we all know, May 21 came, 2011. And like all those before him, Harold Camping was proved 
destined to be a false prophet. Beloved, let me say to you this morning that regardless of what you may hear, of what others may preach, there are no secret codes in the Bible. There are no secret codes. There is no esoteric knowledge. There are not some hidden numeric formulas contained in the scriptures that if you just put them together, it unlocks the future. Do you hear what I'm saying? Regardless of what you may hear, no matter how eloquent they may sound, no matter how fancy they may dress, there is no hidden truths contained between the lines of the text. There is no secret formula. There are no numbers to crunch to determine the day and the hour of our Lord's return. The Bible is not the source, beloved, of some secret hidden agenda of God that if you just get the right insights or knowledge or numbers, if you just have enough faith, you can gain information concerning the secret will of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible itself tells us. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 it says plainly the secret things belong to God. But what has been revealed belongs to us. The day and the time of our Lord's return belongs to God. But the promise of his return, but the nature of his return and the encouragements that come along with his return, those belong to us. And beloved, that's enough. That ought to be enough. Promises of our Lord's return, the nature of his return, the encouragements of his return. Those have been revealed. And they belong to us. And it doesn't take any secret formula. You don't have to crunch the numbers this morning. You don't have to have some ability to look and 
squeeze between the numbers and the lines is plainly revealed to us in the word of God. Well, the plain things, beloved, are the main things. Did you hear what I said? The plain things are the main things. I know people like to make a big deal out of the unplain things. It makes them sound smart. Gives you the impression that they know something you don't or you can't. Makes you have to stop and listen to them as they whack eloquently upon sound and fury and they signify nothing. The plain things are the main things. And it's the main things that make the difference. This is what Paul is getting at to the Thessalonians. We're going to deal with the plain things. We're going to keep them the main things. Because those are the things that are really encouraging. Those are the things that are really encouraging. All of us need encouragement. All of us need encouragement, beloved. If all of us go through various things and and, and hardships and trials in our lives and difficulties and unforeseen events that come and smack us in the face and we're questioning and wondering why and how and when and where. We all have questions. And we need encouragement. We need encouragement to know that those who have died and tried to keep the faith didn't die in vain. We need encouragement to know that as we seek to live our lives and walk faithfully out before God and live contra to the world's standards, that we're not doing that in vain. You get those encouragements from the main things. You keep your eyes and your mind on the main things. That's where the encouragements come from. This is what Paul is doing the Thessalonians, these young Christians here, they were young, they were excitable, they were eager, they, they wanted to learn, they wanted to sap up all they could concerning the knowledge and the will of God. They were excited about what they were learning. And they were yearning for more because they were eager to live this out. Tell us the main things. Tell us what's important because we want to live it out. And nothing, beloved, to the early church was more important than knowing that Jesus was coming back. We've lost the preeminence of this because we've got lazy and complacent. But the early church wasn't. The early church lived with the anticipation that our Lord would return and return soon. So they wanted to know, what does that mean for me as I go to work tomorrow that the Lord could come? 
What does that mean that I went to a funeral yesterday and they have died and they could possibly miss the Lord coming tomorrow? We were hoping that we would all be gathered together when the Lord comes and all of a sudden we got a couple who are dying. What does that mean? We thought the Lord was coming. When last time you thought like that? When last time you really looked at your life and you thought you are living in anticipation of the Lord's return? I am doing this because Jesus said he is coming back. When was the last time you did that? That's what these Thessalonians are sitting around trying to figure out. How do I live my life in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return? They understood that Jesus had promised to return, and they understood that he could return at any time. They heard Paul, and they heard the others, teaching and talking about this, and so they were eager for it. And Paul understood this. He understood the importance of this. He understood that this is a main thing. And he understood that it's important for Christians to live their lives with this motivation. But he also understood that if you're going to keep it a main thing, then you got to understand that it's a plain thing. And so he says, he begins, I understand what y'all are saying, but I don't want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be ignorant. Ignorant of this plain, main truth. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4 that in all of our getting, get what? Understanding. In all of your learning, get understanding. There's a lot of learning that goes on, but little understanding you can gain a lot of knowledge and understand nothing. Paul said, yes, you have this knowledge, but I don't want you to be in your knowledge still ignorant. I want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to lack understanding. I don't want you to lack discernment. You understand that Jesus is coming back. But if you're not careful in knowing that Jesus is coming back, if you don't understand the nature, if you don't understand what is revealed concerning that, you will become uninformed. And you know what happens to people who become uninformed, beloved? They become susceptible to lies and deceit. Hurt 
recently I was listening to the radio and they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was on the radio and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made this fascinating statement. I don't think I totally agree with what he said, but I think I understood where he was coming from. He made this statement that he was saying that there are some people who just shouldn't vote. And he said the reason they shouldn't vote is because they are so uninformed. Now his criticism was that anybody who was voting for Donald Trump just wasn't informed. Now, like I said, I'm not sure I agree with his reasoning, but I do understand that those who are uninformed are more susceptible to lies and deceit. And Christians who don't understand the nature of God and the nature of his word are susceptible to fairy tales. Fairy tales. They are tossed about, as the Bible says. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and, and breeze that blows. Because they are uninformed. Uninformed. For us, it manifests itself in a variety of ways, beloved. I see it. I'll talk to people. Sincere Christians, uninformed fall prey to prosperity teaching. Sincere Christians, uninformed, fall prey to self-help doctrine. Christians, uninformed, fall prey to white and black nationalism. Christians, uninformed, fall prey to aberrant teachings like that are found in the lost books of the Bible. Uninformed. You see it all the time. For us, it is those things. For, for the Thessalonians, it was the return of Christ. Uninformed. And falling prey easily to all kind of aberrant teachings concerning the dead. And the return of Jesus Christ. And what Paul wants to say to them, he says to us, beloved, if you keep the main things and the plain things the main thing, this is what you know about true biblical truth. Real biblical truth does two things. If it's real and if it's true, okay, if it's coming from God and if it's the main thing that has been revealed in his word, it is hope-filled and it brings encouragement. It is full of hope and encouragement. Hope and encouragement. 
It is hope-filled, and it is encouraging. And you see, this is what Paul says to them. He says two things, and there's this two points I want to make to us this morning. Paul says more than this, but he doesn't say less than this. Two things. Okay? Be hopeful. That's what he says. Be hopeful because death is not the end. And be encouraged because Christ really is coming again. You see that? Be hopeful because death is not the end. And be encouraged because Christ is coming again. And Paul here is going to focus just on the main things, and he's going to make the main things the plain things. And we can hang our hats on this. And the first one is be hopeful. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. The reason he's doing this is because God not only wants his people to be informed, beloved, but even more importantly, he wants us to be filled with hope. Always. Hope ought to mark out the people of God. God's people ought to be filled with hope in every situation. It is the woman or the man of God who is speaking hope and not despair. So he wants his people to be hopeful. Like all Christians, these here in Thessalonica, they had one desire. They wanted to see the Lord. At least that ought to be every Christian's hope. They wanted to see the Lord. And therefore, they wanted to be there when Christ returned. Wouldn't you? The Lord is coming. He is returning. I guarantee you, beloved, if somebody told you that the Lord is going to return, if the Lord told you that he was going to return next year at this time, you would do all you can to make sure that you were alive. You clean up your diet. You get a you get a membership at the local gym. You stop driving so recklessly. You do everything you could to make sure that you were alive. You might even quit your job and say, I'm staying at home. Because I don't want anything to happen to me between now and then. This is how they lived. They really believed that the Lord would come back while they were yet living. And they were looking for Jesus and they couldn't wait. But apparently, they were concerned, and they were confused because there were those among them who had recently died, and they thought 
those who had died are going to miss it. So what does Paul say? Uh, don't be uninformed. Don't be uninformed. Whoever tells you that, don't be deceived. Here is the truth about those who are asleep. And I tell you this so that you may not grieve as others do, as those he had said earlier are outsiders who don't understand these things, who have not received this understanding. But you don't grieve like they do, who have no hope. Because you, beloved, are hope-filled. And what does he tell them? He tells them that death is not death to us. Now, beloved, death is inevitable. If the Lord tarries, this is what they discovered, that if the Lord tarries, people will die. Last I checked, the ratio to humans to death is still one to one. Everyone dies, beloved, long as the Lord should tarry. Everyone is subject to it. Everyone deals with it. Death comes into all of our lives one way or another. Few things, in fact, in this life cause us more questions than does the question of death. Few things cause us more grief, and we know that death causes us grief. And few things are a killer of hope more than death is. This is why, beloved, there is not a worldview, there is not a philosophy, there is not a religion that if it is to be taken serious, it has to answer the question, what about death? Because it happens. Happens to those close to us. It happens as individuals. It happens on grand scales. Fifteen years ago to this day, we saw the mass murder of thousands of people in the terrorist attacks upon this nation. It happens in mass touches us in our national psyche. It touches us individually as we lose loved ones and friends who are close to us and we grieve. Because it is painful. And Christians do not ignore it. We don't put our hand in the sand when it comes to the issue of death and the grief that comes with it. We don't ignore it. In fact, as Christians... Because our God is real, and this world is a real world in which we live, then Christians, we embrace the reality of it and the painful emotions that are involved with it. 
evangelist, missionary, Leighton Ford, when his 21-year-old son died, they asked him how he was coping with it. And he said, the struggle is to bring my faith and my emotions together. It's to bring my faith and my emotions in line. Why? Because we grieve. But notice what Paul says. We grieve, but beloved, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because death is not the end. Death is not the end. And so Paul speaks of death as sleep. Now, in order to kind of take the edge off of death and things that relate to death, we often speak with these euphemisms. I get a phone call, somebody died. Nobody calls me and say, hey, pastor, so-and-so died. They don't say that. They say what? So-and-so passed away. We don't even like to go to funerals anymore. We call them home-going celebrations. Because we're trying to take the edge off of the reality that is death. When the Bible speaks of sleep and this euphemism, it's not trying to take the edge off of death as it is breaking into this world the realities of the kingdom of God. And realities of the kingdom of God is that death is not death to God. So in John chapter 11, when they tell Jesus, who delayed in going to see about his friend Lazarus, when he finally decides to go and see about Lazarus, Jesus says, let me go see my friend Lazarus, for he is asleep. And his disciples look at each other, what is he talking about? We got the report. Lazarus not sleep, Lord. That's the case, you just go wake him up. And Jesus says, okay, you're right. Lazarus is dead. If that's the way you want to look at it, Lazarus is dead. But I'm going to wake him up. Because the reality of the kingdom of God is that death is not death to God and his people. But in that sense, they have been overtaken by a sleep. They have been overtaken by a sleep. And for those who have fallen asleep, and since they have just been overtaken by a sleep, beloved, in the reality that is the kingdom of God, they, like Christ, are yet alive. This is a marvelous truth, 
those are wonderful truths to keep in mind. We don't deny the reality of death. We do not deny the reality of the pain and the grief that is associated with it. But we understand that just as our Savior's life did not end in that grave, neither do ours. Neither do the lives of those whom we love in the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is alive. This is the hope of the resurrection, beloved. The hope of the resurrection is that since Jesus is alive, when we die, we go to be with him. He has been raised from the dead. For since we believe, Paul says, don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope about those who have fallen asleep. For since we believe, Jesus died and rose again. We have hope. The world has no hope, beloved. It just has no hope in this matter. But we have hope. Why? Because we believe that Christ died and rose again. And since we have that belief, our hope is that through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Christ is a game changer. That's the game changer. And if you really thought about it, beloved, it changes everything. It changes the past. I'm no longer condemned. I am no longer condemned from my sins. Christ has been raised from the dead and now I am justified. Christ has been raised from the dead and therefore he has secured for me in the past eternal life. That I have been raised with him. Changes everything in my past. Got a um, notification on, on Facebook one time from somebody I knew way back in high school. And they wanted to become friends. And I looked at it and I said, you don't know me. No, you knew me. But that person you knew died and was buried with Christ. And now I have been raised on the newness of life. You don't know me. Christ buried that past. The resurrection is a game changer, brother. Not only is your past different, your present is. For I have been raised with him, Romans chapter 6 says, and I have been raised with him on the newness of life. Now I walk in, re in resurrection glory. 
And now Satan, nor you, nor anyone else can bring any charge against me? Because Christ had been raised from the dead, that there dwells within me a new life. It is resurrection life. It is eternal life. So that death is dead. That when I die in this world, y'all will be crying over my body. But I won't be there. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. I've gone to be with him. Changed everything. Changed everything. Do you, can you imagine? Can you imagine what they could have done to Lazarus once he was raised from the dead? How were they going to threaten him? What could they do to him? Lazarus, we're going to take your life. Been there, done that. How could they threaten him in this world? Because he knew the resurrection life. Well, not only does Lazarus know that, you and I know it too. We have been raised with Christ to newness of life. Changes, changes the past, changes the present. And as Paul says here, changes the future, doesn't it? Death is not the end. The grave did not hold Christ. It will not hold us. The grave is not the final resting place for the Christian. You often hear that when people, you go to funerals and then you go to the graveyard and they say, we're going to lay him in his final resting place. Not if he's a Christian. <laughs> that is not the final resting place. The resurrection has changed all that. Death, beloved, may be in the future of all of us, but it not need be the final word for any of us. Because of the resurrection of Christ. Christ's life did not end in the grave. Neither lives of those who have faith and trust in him. This life is not all that there is, beloved. You don't need to get distressed about the vagaries of this life. Death is not the end. Christ is alive. There's a hope with which you and I live our lives. That is the hope with which we deal with the grief and the hurt and the pain in this world. The final word is Jesus is alive. And we have hope. We have hope. We have hope. So be hopeful. Death is not the end. Death is, death is not the end. But be encouraged, beloved. 
Christ is coming again. Not only do we have this hope because Christ is alive, we also have this encouragement. So be encouraged, young Christian. Not only is death not the end, but the Lord really is coming again. And the fact that some among you are experiencing death does not negate his promise to come again. He's coming. He's coming. We we may not know the day. And we may not know the hour. But there are some things we do know. Number one, we know he's coming from heaven. So we know where he is. He is in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of glory. He has the angels and the saints are gathered around him singing his praises. And he, when he comes, he is coming from there. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, the Bible says. From heaven. From heaven. Why will he descend from heaven? Because this is where he ascended to. Remember Acts chapter 1? When all the disciples were gathered together with Jesus. And all of a sudden the angels appeared. And all of a sudden Jesus began to be taken up. And they were wondering, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. And the angel said what in verse 2? And the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. That's the promise. You saw him go, Peter. He's coming again. You've seen him ascend to heaven. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Beloved, if you had seen the Lord ascend to heaven and heard the angels promise that he was going to descend in the same manner that you saw him ascend, what would you do? You would do like the apostles did and preach your heart out. And every day, look up. That's what they did. That was their motivation. That was the drive of their lives. We saw him go. We are the promise he's coming again. When he comes, let me be found faithful. Looking for the Lord. You see the connection here? Paul is making a connection here between holy living. He just told the Thessalonians, be holy, live holy. Don't live like the outsiders who have no hope. But you live in hope of the blessed return of Christ. He's coming. John tells us in in 1 John that those who have this hope, what do they do? They purify themselves. 
They are living their lives every day as if the Lord could descend. Oh, beloved. We saw Jesus leave. That's what Paul and the apostles are saying. We saw Jesus leave. We heard him promise to come again. And notice that he says, the Lord himself will descend. He promised that he's coming back. He's not sending somebody else. He himself will descend. At other times, he sent angels. At other times, he sent various messengers. But this time, he is coming himself. He is not coming to get somebody to bring his bride to him. He's coming to get her himself. The Lord himself shall descend. What do we know about the Lord's return? He himself is coming from heaven. What else do we know? We know that when he comes, he won't be alone. The Bible says he's bringing company with him. This is an encouragement to the Thessalonians. This should be an encouragement to us. When the Lord returns, he will not be alone. For the Lord will bring with him, in verse 14, those who have fallen asleep. Reminds us, at least it should, where our loved ones are, who have gone on to be with the Lord. They're with the Lord. They are with the Lord, waiting, anticipating his return. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Lord is in heaven. Those who have died and gone before us, they have gone to heaven and they are with the Lord, eagerly waiting and anticipating his return because when he returns, they're coming with him. They are coming with him, beloved. He is not going to come by himself. He's bringing your loved ones with him. This is comforting. They were worried what was happening to those who had died. Would they miss the Lord's coming? And the apostle says, no, beloved, they're not going to miss it. They're going to be coming with him. You're going to wish you had died. They're going to have the preeminent positions. They are going to be coming with him. So we know. We know that he's coming from heaven. We know that he's not coming by himself. You know what else we know? We know that when the Lord comes, he's coming loud. It's not going to be a whimper. It's not going to be a whisper. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Or a cry of command. And with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Don't miss it, beloved. Whatever the apostle is trying to get over to us. He is saying this is going to be huge. It's going to be loud. And you know we don't like loud. 
We don't like loud. We complain music is too loud. Phil preaches too loud. Amen. Sometimes he does. Microphones up too loud. Singers are too loud. Kids are too loud. Everything's just too loud. Well, beloved, God likes loud. <laughs> Psalm 150. He said, praise me with loud symbols. The Lord likes loud. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 2. In description of the worship that is going on in heaven, I heard from heaven like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voices I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps. Loud! The Lord likes loud. And when he comes, beloved, it's going to be loud. It's going to be a loud cry of command. It's not going to be secret. Unlike the what the Jehovah's Witnesses have perpetrated over the years. When the Lord comes, everyone's going to know it. When the Lord comes, everyone's going to see it. There won't be any secret rapture. But when the Lord comes, he comes with a shout. He comes with a loud trumpet. He comes with the voice of an archangel. When the Lord comes, beloved, it's like the Lord has taken his ethereal pen and he's writing across the heavens, Jesus is here. Get ready. It's over. It's coming loud, beloved. When he returns, it's going to be loud. And you know what? Your sanctified ears won't mind. The only reason you can't handle loud now because your ears ain't sanctified. <laughs> they will be because in heaven it's going to be loud. When the Lord comes, it's going to be loud. And you're going to rejoice in how loud it is. I don't mean, Alan, you just go beating on everything. <laughs> We know when he, how he's coming, don't we? He's coming from heaven. He's coming and bringing others with him. He's coming loud. And when he comes, he's coming victorious. And when the sound of the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is a victory sound. You know, the trumpet... The trumpet was not an instrument like we think of a trumpet as, as if Satchmo was playing on it. His trumpet was a sound, was a call of victory. 
And I don't know what they're going to play on that trumpet. Perhaps they're going to play the victory march from Notre Dame. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe they'll play hail to the victors from Michigan. Probably not, but I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be a victory march because the dead are going to rise. And they will all sing in unison, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? That's what they're going to play. It's probably going to be the victory march from Notre Dame, but we'll wait and see. All that speculation, esoteric knowledge, you need not pay any attention to that. I'm reading that between the lines. <laughs> when he comes, beloved, death will finally be destroyed. When he comes, those who have been overcome by death will be released forevermore, beloved. When he comes, he will come with joy. They who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall they ever be with the Lord. He's coming in joy. What do you want? Really, what do you want? Again, beloved, it's the, it's the plain thing. That ought to be the main thing. Because they become the source of encouragement. What do you really want? Put it simply, I just want to see Jesus. I want to be with the Lord. Paul says that's what's going to happen. You don't have to know exactly the day, know the hour. But just know this. That when he comes, he's bringing the rest of the family with him. And all the family will be together, and it will be well with every soul. And then he says, beloved, with this, encourage one another. Encourage one another. These are the words of encouragement for the saints. These are the words of the encourager. Therefore, since you have this understanding, encourage one another with these words. What is encouragement? Encouragement is support. What is encouragement? Encouragement is advice that gives hope. That's what encouragement is. Advice, advice that gives hope. A lot of us think we, we're encouraging people when we give them advice that leads to despair. Well, I'm going to encourage her today. Yeah? When, you, when she leaves your presence, will she feel better or worse for having been with you? Encouragement is advice that gives hope. We all should be encouragers. Somebody's going through a tough spot. Somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing. And all you're, all you're talking to them, remind them, oh, but Jesus is coming. Jesus 
is coming and we shall be with him in the air. This world and all its troubles are passing away. This heartache and this pain and this grief is but a momentary affliction. Those you have lost and have gone on to be with the Lord, don't worry, they're coming again to meet you in the air. So you shall ever be with the Lord. Encouragement, beloved, is optimistic. That's what it is. That's what Christians ought to be. I don't mean to offend anybody this morning. And please forgive me if I do. Okay? But it is discouraging to be around pessimistic Christians. They have nothing to do but complain. They complain about everything. Every situation, every person, the church, their job, their families, everything is a complaint. What they haven't understood is that this world is passing away. And the Lord is coming. For he shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. And do you understand that those who are dead will be rise first, will rise first and we who are alive shall be caught up to meet him in the air? What are you complaining about? The Lord is coming. Let's get rejoicing and trusting him and leaning on him. When I complain, you tell me that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We, got, we, we well over time. Let's pray. <laughs>